0: welcome to the compliance perspectives podcast i'm adam turtle from the society of corporate compliance and ethics and healthcare compliance association joining us today for an extended conversation uh, all the way from copenhagen is cecilia muller torbrand cecilia is chief executive officer at the maritime anti-corruption network an organization which we're going to be talking about and an organization which has come up with incredible frequency in, in my life over the last few months First, Cecilia, thank you for taking time away from your day to talk to us.
1: And thank you for having me, Adam.
0: Oh, it's truly my pleasure because I'm really dying to learn more about the organization, what your work is. But first, given your focus on bribes, I want to ask you in general, what's going on out there in the market? What kind of bribes are typically solicited from the maritime industry? Are we talking Large ones from senior government officials or smaller facilitation payments from, say, dock workers before they unload a ship?
1: Yeah, so the maritime, I think it's good to start with that the maritime industry, um, you know, as as the main facilitator for trade globally is quite exposed to corruption risks. Um, If you're looking at, you know, vessels going in and out of ports uh, 24-7 in multiple jurisdictions, uh, we have a very regulated industry. And at the same time, we touch multiple, um, multiple different governments and, and jurisdictions um, over a short period of time. Uh, many of the vessels and, and captains are also, of course, due to the nature of the business, very far away from headquarters. So the support may feel as it's very far away. So with a highly regulated industry. Um, and when you are entering into ports, there are multiple government touch points because a lot of things needs to be processed before cargo can even offload or be unloaded. Um, so giving all those different perspectives, um, you know, if you want to summarize those, then the corrupt um, corruption risks for the maritime industry um, are high. If you're looking at what type of corruption we're talking about, um i would say it ranges in 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 both fields as as you were uh, based on your question um so i think what it normally starts with is maybe the smaller amounts of facilitation payments that there is a demand for uh you can call it gift hospitality sometimes some kind of like token of appreciation um and the challenge with that is um it it comes with a certain demand. It comes with a certain expectation to get that token of appreciation. So I think it's actually turned into something that the shipping industry is really challenged with, working with, because it becomes such a a challenging request that doesn't really go away. And when a captain turns down that, um, uh, that small request of a lower value, then, because of wide discretionary powers, many official has then the opportunity to maybe open a different can of a worm, so to speak. Um, um, in some jurisdictions, we see that uh, when a captain stands their ground um, and saying no, then you know they can delay the vessel heavily. They can you know threat to confiscate passports. Uh, they can go on board several times, inspecting this the vessel for hours. Um, And then, of course, uh, that is the genuine challenge of the industry, that how would you then combat that issue? So I would say when we're looking at corruption risks in the industry, we have different types of corrupt demand, but also more importantly, we have different types of consequences when you are rejecting that demand. Everything from successful rejection to delay, and all the way to, to potential safety issues.
0: It's very scary, and and it is an amazing array. Now, corruption is a problem that's pretty common out there, but it's one that most companies fight alone. The maritime industry decided to deal with it together. What led to the decision to really pursue a common solution?
1: Yeah, so the initiative started about 10 years ago, and, and I was one of the people that would actually engage from the very beginning. Um, And I think what what was was really driving um, uh, the industry to think differently were were two factors. Uh, One of them was that we saw the the stress and and the consequences for for what is the industry's front line, which the industry is also very protective about, which are the seafarers, right? The stress that they see. And um, I use this as an example, if you're coming as a compliance officer Uh, working uh, from headquarters um, that is maybe located in a in a in a country that is well regulated and then you visit these these 60 captains in a room who've been sailing for 30 years um, and you're trying to kind of talk about the company's compliance programs there are three questions um, that, that comes back fairly quickly and and one of the questions is like if we are the only one that says no, and everybody else continue their practices, you know, what am I, ex- what am I exposing myself to and many of them are also very loyal to the companies, so what am I exposing the company to? Um, I don't think this can work, right? The second element uh, argument is really around, you know, we're cooling these countries that are prone to corruption, uh, what are they doing about the agenda, the expectation that, you know, I as a captain can't solve everything alone, there also has to be other other stakeholders pushing that agenda, and then of course the perception of and the belief in the change in itself, which really relates to I've been sailing for 30 years. I've been seeing this for a long time. I don't think this can change. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it really matters what type of industry you're in, because any, any, any um, compliance officer or lawyer, whoever works in that profession, really to have a successful program, the people who are faced with corruption really need to believe in your program. So when we had all these voices, um, uh, we said, we're not going to be successful if we are the only ones that are looking at this. We have to look at this from the industry perspective. Um, So so that input, that frontline input in combination with what I would say, some legislation, I think 10 years ago, was really the UK Bribery act that many, many companies were really uh, looking at and see how can we really comply. So the the combination of frontline and the regulatory push uh made the industry take these decisions and we were it wasn't a large initiative from the beginning we were eight and eight ten companies representing very different size um, you know from big multinationals to smaller ship owners Uh, but we decided that if we are going to be successful we have to look at this as an industry and not only in isolation with individual companies Uh, and i still believe 10 years later you know 200 close to 200 companies in the network that that is the the only way to to really tackle this um it has to be a combination of two industry engagement and of course companies own compliance program building and compliance maturity
0: well you know going around the world and talking to individuals who are working compliance. I mean, one of the things they talk about is the fact that it is just impossible to often face things alone, especially if you're a smaller organization or a local one that's not a global company. And the appeal of having a collective effort is very strong. Now, for others looking to do something similar to what MACN has done, what advice would you give to get the initiative started?
1: Get started. (laughs) <laughs> that is my that is actually the best advice <laughs> to give actually you know i think that um i think there is a a wish and a need to become very practical right i think there are people who are working in the compliance or sustainability field are really hungry for something very practical if you're looking at what you know what is happening in the world today um and i think that's what we did you know we were a couple of companies that came together and did some initial thinking you know do we have the same countries that we want to focus on do we have the same challenges um do we have the same reflections internally and once that was established um uh we started to kind of motivate others to come to the table um and there were two main objectives three main objectives early on in in the by environment one was that um when you are looking for solutions, it's very easy to point fingers at someone who's not in the room, right? That could be a local supplier For mm-hmm. us, um, it was the port agents like when we started with only ship owners, um a lot of people were pointing at the port agents and, and just for for people who who listen who may not know the industry then then port agents are the one that kind of like uh, supports the the captain when the vessel is in a certain port, so they would know the local laws they will also know the local authorities and they will be able to speak the language and make sure that documentation etc is well prepared so they also they act on behalf of you in a certain way and they also touch other touch points um, or the mediator between governments and, and 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 the vessels so they play a very important role Um, So one of the owners, they were like, you know, many owners said, you know, they're working in collusion with the authorities. The problem is the port agents. And then we brought the port agents to the table. And then they were saying, well, we only do what our customers, what our clients tell us to do. So we can't change anything because we just follow instructions. But when you start putting only these two um, industry stakeholders together, pointing fingers uh, very quickly stopped. And they, today, the, the network they, they see themselves as resources right they can strengthen uh they can strengthen each other's uh, anti-corruption policies um and what do I what do I want to say with that story I think it's so important that that local supply chain partners SMEs in your in your value chain are allowed to come to the table that you're not just dictating terms on how standards should look like that you really have time energy and resources to understand their challenges and see how can we actually work together the same also goes further upstream so the customers the big companies that can complain uh, that 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 just the name of itself of that company can play a role in pushing the agenda those companies also needs to come to the table so today we both have you know customers and service providers um and insurance providers and where you register the vessels. We have a pool of what we call the maritime value chain are actually you know, sitting together discussing these challenges because we say you all have a role to play, but no one has the full responsibility to solve this issue. And I don't think that's unique for shipping. It's just about that value chain review, right? And that I think it's extremely important to come to early on in the process, let people have a voice of, of all sizes, right? Um, and then the second element I would say is also, don't be afraid to also include and find solution with the public sector, with governments. Um, because I see it in a lot of forums where it might be too government heavy or too heavy on civil society stakeholders or very industry focused. And I think we have to be much better in combining these stakeholders because they are very important for the solution so it's not enough to only talk about industry team building as we call it it's also important to dare to take um, conversations with governments um and we were, when we started our one of our collective action work, uh, one of our uh, the countries that we worked in, we were 20 companies and we we knocked on the door for the Nigerian government um, and we said there are challenges. And that ended up being a, a, a great partnership and we've come to, to many good solutions um, today. But the practical elements of getting started, know your challenges, get the right stakeholders into the room then you become very solution oriented and i think that's that's very important especially in times we live in at the moment
0: well and i think it's always good advice to keep your eyes focused on what's the solution rather than getting lost in the day-to-day of the problem because there's always going to be problems you just need to figure out okay how do we just get past this so along those lines tell us how uh MACN's getting past it how does it work in practice what happens when say a ship captain is asked by a pilot for a carton of cigarettes or some other bribe
1: so we have different mechanisms for that I think one of the also the the third element which I think I said had three but I forgot that so I'll come to that now <laughs> but one of the important okay. elements uh, exactly as you said is that how do we capture those those cases right that that demand for for that corrupt demand, how do you actually capture that and, and um, in that early establishment of MACN we said we need to start to have some data of corrupt demands, how common is it, what, what happens, so we started an anonymous reporting uh, mechanism, uh, starting to, to collect corrupt demands happening globally. And today that hosts over uh, fifty thousand incidents of corrupt demands and is used then um, as a, as a as an advocate for change so that means that when in your case, as you said, if we collect enough demands in a certain port or in a certain country, we can then engage with the government and be very concrete on what are the challenges that the shipping industry sees in that country or in that port and that also allows us to move away from um, you know general arguments like corruption is bad corruption is cancer you know social economic challenges you know we all know those you know that we've talked about those for i don't know how long 20 30 40 years right and we just have to recognize that those arguments are just not enough to create the change we need to happen because we would have created it by now (laughs) based on those arguments. Instead, when you start collecting data, even if it's anonymous, even if it's not supposed to be evidence as such, you indicate a risk and you indicate there is a systemic issue. So when there are enough of these demands, we can be very specific to go to the right department, the right authority um, in these high-risk countries and don't, and we don't get stuck in corruption. We talk about the direct consequences, which I mean, so there's been 600 corrupt demands made in these ports, and that is the consequences for those demands are delays or safety or concerns. So we can really be very concrete, and that is also very hard to to walk away from because it becomes concrete. And I think that is one of the reasons why we have been able to work with multiple governments and and gotten to the table because we incentivize them to understand what the challenges are but also what the consequences are and we're linking it to their own strategy i mean for us like we're also looking at what is the government strategy in this country what is their what is their maritime trade agenda if they have these ambitions and these agenda and they have so many corrupt demands in the ports that that ambition will not be met so, we try to again, it's, it's about incentivizing and see it, see it as relevant to come to the table to have those conversations with us, right? Um, which is different, I think, than only to say your country is corrupt or there is corruption, because either they have heard it many times before or they don't recognize there are corruption in their backyard. But when we become very concrete, there are trade relevant consequences for what happens in these ports then that conversation becomes much more solution-oriented.
0: And it's a lot harder to argue with statistics than it is to argue, obviously, when somebody talks about one incident. Um, you know, When it's one incident, it's a question of, well, what did this one do? What did that one do? But when there's 600, it's different. Now, I, I would imagine for the bribe solicitor, it, it would seem that the fear of having an entire industry come down on you uh, if you do this solicitation, it would be an effective deterrent. Are, are you finding that's the case, or are they somehow immune to these things?
1: No, I think, I do think it it has, you know, once we have, you know, I think there's a process for that. So once we have engaged with appropriate senior level government officials, right, once MACN's, uh, you know, package of solution conversation Um, is really happening, Um, um, there are also an expectation that solutions will come from their end, right? So if they have still officers in their ports acting badly or, you know, not acting in accordance to um, procedures we have helped the government to define or or, or expectations that have been set, then yes, they do Fear that because MSCN in certain countries where we have worked actively actually means something. Like the logo means something. The logo means that yeah, I can't ask this vessel because first of all they have a certain standard, and secondly, which I think is the most important part, they know there can be consequences on their end if they engage in this behavior. So, and I think that's a very important distinction that we we want the solution to come from. The government or from that authority which which a certain individual is is respecting right or working under um, so and that's also i think a part of our methodology which i also think is part of the success that we don't try to dictate terms on what national governments should do we are indicating that risk and we want to be a part of building a solution with them so when they do when they enforce a consequent management system they are the one that owns the consequences for individuals at the same time we constantly keep a pulse because we have so much industry buy-in for those projects so we actually know if their consequence management system or their their training or their procedures work because we get the feedback from from the members right from our industry um from our industry from our member companies right
0: mhm yeah, and I think that's it's good because there's a bit of a feedback loop for everyone there. Now, one of the challenges I can imagine you face is that since so many of the solicitations are minor facilitation payments of, say, a carton of cigarettes, it must be hard to convince a frontline employee that they really shouldn't pay the bribe, even though it's faster and easier. How do you overcome their sort of, oh, why bother reaction? Let's just get this over with.
1: Well, first of all, I mean, that's where, where the company needs to come in. Like if the change doesn't happen internally, then we can't make that change for them, right? So so first of all, uh, when a company comes to us, we can help them to progress on their compliance journey, but there really needs to be this management buy-in that that we believe it's the right thing to do. there might be regulatory pressure to do to do to do better um, and and to really enforce your anti-corruption program. And I think it's also, you know, a package of cigarettes. I mean, if you're looking at what is happening on board the vessels, many of the captains are, are if they don't have any policy, right, they're still stuck in negotiations, right? Because whatever leaves the vessel is still a cost. So if you're working on the assumption that, that the company or vessel have no anti-corruption stand at all, there's still an expectation to reduce the cost and it doesn't, it doesn't stop with one package of cigarettes. Like it's it's like it's value that leaves the vessel, right? And and it adds up. Um, And the captains, many of the captains that have that have been through the program and, and see the see the change in how the company supports them, really, really appreciate that because they can just say no. They know they're backed by the company, they can refer to the company's anti-corruption policy. So when when they have that individual interaction with one government official and one captain, they can say, I'm sorry, sir, I or madam, I can't do this because my company don't allow it. My company doesn't allow it. And I think that is 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 very important for for every employee of any business who who works in high risk countries that the empowerment of saying no to take off that burden um, is something that that shouldn't be underestimated and should be really the value driver for for your ethical integrity programs
0: now l- let's shift gears a little bit um you developed the global port integrity platform can you tell us a bit about what it is and what the vision behind it is
1: that was um, MACN's, that started with our anonymous reporting that early on when we were set up, we, we needed to understand you know, corrupt demands happening. We needed to get like a pulse on the industry. Um, so at some point we had enough data of those corrupt demands and they said, we wanna do something more with this data than just to share it with the industry. And we wanna, we wanna see how we can over time create change with this platform. Um, so gpep as we uh, as the the abbreviation for it are i think a bit two-folded so one it is a it's a good tool for for members so the companies that do reporting and and it's also open for non-members i should really add but but the but the access to the data are for for members so they can log in and they can be they can really look at corruption risks on port level so when we are calling this port what is the expected risk or expected consequence that can happen. So they will gain more intelligence and can then better prepare for uh, ports um, um, across the globe. I think we have over a thousand ports there now. So it's really used as, as industry risk preparation, so to speak. The other element of is which is that we've taken deep dives and really try to Understand the risks beyond those reports is that we are actually um, the system also includes uh, reviews of certain ports um, integrity performance indicators. So do they have transparent fees? Do they have a whistleblower? Do they have an anti-corruption policy? So we've also gone where we're trying to analyze the port's compliance level. Right. So so the data that's coming in from the industry in combination, looking at ports and how mature they are will then help to indicate the risk better for the industry. Um, and also it will help over time, most of the ports to understand what can they do to improve. If they are a high risk port, how can they be a medium risk port or even a, a low risk port over time? Um, and that, that last part of, of the platform, that work has just started uh, where we really want to see um using the platform as as an element to change to improve um the integrity performance of ports um which will of course take some time uh but but both those purposes combined will i believe over time also create it will be super valuable for for the trade agenda more broadly that we see more transparency more maturity Um, also on port level.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds terrific because I I like the fact that it it addresses things from both perspectives. So, you know, what somebody at part of the maritime industry needs to know to plan as they're heading to a port and then also for the local governments to be able to see what's going on, not based on anything subjective, but what the data is actually showing them is happening there um, and be able to understand what's going on and where they're coming up short, because, you know, in truth, there is a certain amount also of competition among ports for business out there in the world. So the big question, I think, is now how are all your efforts working? Are you seeing an impact on the demand side of corruption?
1: We're the countries where we have engagement where we have co- what we call collective action countries um that's where we have engagement with government we have looked at together on some of the root causes for corruption um in some of these countries we have also established a help desk where companies can call in when they're a potential challenge uh for corruption and that can then be solved in real time and in some of these jurisdictions, we have government cooperation with those help desks. Here we've definitely seen improvements. Um, We have seen, uh, and we measure improvements by, of course, the the subjective element, which are very important, like what is the experience for the captains, you know, do they feel that the port calls are getting easier in a high risk jurisdiction? Um, Can they stand their ground without the consequences, there's this subjective measurement, the storytelling of that, which I think is very, very important. We also see it in terms of the the, the cases that the help desks in these countries are really addressing that we see, we can actually resolve those cases. Um, so we have very high resolution rate for those cases that's been handled. So if there is an issue, we mm-hmm. can actually work with the government, We can the consequence management, as we talked about earlier, which is very important. And, and then we see positive rings on the water, because if there are consequences, behaviors also change Um, and last I think also uh, we do measure it in some of the mature countries uh, collective action programs we work in we do measure also uh, when there was a case for instance in um, in Nigeria I mean it could take up to seven to eight days to resolve that case and that's a long time for the shipping industry and that is very costly from an operational perspective those cases can now be solved between one to eight hours so we also see operational benefits with our program um, and then clear reduction of corrupt demands. We have another programs we run running in, um, in Argentina, where we, we measured the demands and, and the experience of the industry and we saw a 90% reduction of corrupt demand. So wow. I do think that handholding with the government, seeing that resolutions are, uh, we see solution on the table. We see resolution happening of, of concrete cases, and we see an appetite for change within the government that is really for me uh, how to make these projects also sustainable right because there's a motivation also from the demand side if you want to say it like that that to drive this change because they do see a benefit um and i also want to add that we don't we don't name and shame governments we don't name and shame ports so also, our platform is not like an open source. It's not you, it's the, the, the intent of that is not to use it as an index to to openly rate ports. It's used as, as, as a way to engage all the way down to port level to say, if you want to change, then they should be motivated by change. Um, and that is not always necessarily the name and shame approach. I don't think, I'm not against it, but I think for us as an organization, it is really about, Finding incentives, drivers, and motivations for that change. Um, and that is, I think, sometimes better to be done uh, by allowing uh, governments or ports to also shine in their improvement process um, and not necessarily by pointing fingers.
0: And I, I think it's a good approach because, you know, in truth, you're trying to make progress, you're not trying to just call out the problem. Uh, are you seeing any results from prosecutors? Are they recognizing the industry's commitment to fighting corruption?
1: Well, I hope prosecutors will will continue to recognize collective action because that I think we can see more of. Um, concrete actions that are taking as an industry what MSCN is doing can be replicated in in, in many other industries and i do I do hope. That regulators and prosecutors will really look at companies who operate, who choose to operate in high risk countries, who then end up under the, under the loop of, the, of, of a prosecutor, that they're also looking not only on their individual compliance program, but also what did you do to really mitigate this risk in your industry? Did you reach out to your peers? Did you talk to your customer did you sit down and talk to your suppliers to really see how can we solve this issue together um i really want to see more of that um and i think that that's that's how you create a change that is sustainable um and and i hope that more programs will be designed that collective action is not used as a luxury out of the box innovative way of driving compliance. Instead, I really want to see collective action seen as an integrated part of companies' compliance programs. And I think there's more to do on that agenda.
0: Well, there definitely is because, you know, you're not the only industry facing these challenges and many struggle both from a global level as well as the smaller local suppliers who have it particularly difficult because they are there in the country and may not have the resources of a large global enterprise. Well, Cecilia, thank you so much for taking so much time to talk to us today about uh, what the Maritime Anti-Corruption Network has been doing. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletop from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we are able to expand your compliance perspective.